Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. It can be fun at times to have abstract conversations about large concepts, but here's the problem. Sometimes you can walk away from those conversations and not really come to any solid conclusions because talking about abstract things can be difficult. But there's good news for us today, and you may be able to guess why. Today's guest is helping to make sense of something that can be a little abstract at times, and that thing is trust. You know when you don't have it, but you don't always know why you don't have it. And today we're going to discuss the trust equation and some key aspects surrounding trust that will help us to be able to regain trust and rebuild trust when it's broken. Because trust, if you have it on a team, will help things go so much better. Our guest today is the founder and owner of O'Grady Leadership Consulting Services. He is a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy, where he also played NCAA Division I lacrosse. During his military career, he served a year-long combat deployment where he trained and led a 500-person unit that earned the Presidential Unit Award for Extraordinary Performance and Heroism. He has worked with U.S. Special Operations Forces on missions in both Afghanistan and Iraq, and he served as a senior advisor to executive-level military leaders where he was relied upon to provide confidential expert advice on topics as diverse as culture, strategic direction, and managing fiscal and operational portfolios in excess of $14 billion. Here is Colonel John O'Grady. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here, Joshua. So I like to start off every interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these? Yes, shoot. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? A Roger Ingersoll quote, um, we rise by lifting others is uh, a little bit of my leadership mantra, uh, mainly because of the selfless nature behind it. Uh, so that, that would be probably my answer on that one. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? Humble, uh, because uh, humble and, and humility uh, also entail a, a curiosity and a, and a reflection uh, piece to it. Uh, trusted. And then uh, courage, and I think it was Maya Angelou who talked about character and saying, you know, courage is, is the preeminent of all because it allows all the others to then actually uh, ensue. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? I'm going to give you two answers on this one. All it's, right. a, it's a what don't I or slash, you know, we know, right? So this is, again, this curiosity, inquisitiveness. And then... Uh, the other one is, you know, you should always ask yourself as a leader, you know, why am I leading and, and why do people want to be led by me? Um, so those would be two. What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? 
Victor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book, uh, he chronicles his experiences as a prisoner of, uh, in, in a Nazi concentration camp. And he, he describes his, his personal method of, of survival, uh, which ident- involved identifying a purpose um, in life uh, to feel positive about and then immersively imagining your, uh, the outcome of that purpose. And it's a great story of survival, uh, the power of agency and positive psychology and the indomitable uh, human spirit. And a really neat quote out of it is, um, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, and that's your own personal choice and attitude, regardless of the situation you find yourself in. Now, John, if you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Yeah, it would be, uh, again, I'm a rule breaker here, as you can tell, so I'm going to give you two. It would be slow down and be curious. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? So uh, I don't... I don't necessarily believe it's binary. And what I think is most important in, in those two questions, regardless of which is asked, is what is the spirit or intention behind the question? Um, and is there a genuine non-judgmental curiosity in terms of the answer that either one of those questions might elicit? So, John, we are here today to talk about your business, O'Grady Leadership Consulting Services, and some of the the leadership models and, and experiences that you have had that you're able to now use to help other people in their leadership roles. First of all, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you came to leadership consulting and helping people really focus on how they can be the best that they can be. Yeah, so I think uh, first and foremost, it's it, it, it's simply what fires me up. Being around high potential, high performing individuals or teams or organizations um, and going into that uh, situation with a genuine desire not to provide answers necessarily, because, again, they're high potential, high performing people, right? They already they already have the answers, whether they realize it or not. And so uh, two of the fundamental things I do is I ask questions and I challenge. Um, and then in that symbiotic and exchange and iterative exchange that occurs, uh, I find myself also being a better person and a better leader in that journey with, with whomever I happen to be working with. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's kind of uh, some of the foundational things that really brought me to this point. Now, you said you don't focus on providing answers, and oftentimes people already have the answers, but what you do is you ask questions and challenge. Are there some questions that you find to be some of the more helpful ones to really get to the answers that the organization or individual you're working with needs, and maybe some ways that you kind of plan on challenging people as well? Do you come in with that preconceived notion or do you have general models that you use or is it really a case-by-case basis? It is uh, more so in terms of the spectrum that you just uh, offered, whether it be kind of, you know, my words now, cookie cutter, template type stuff or case-by-case. It's definitely more case-by-case before I ever even get into the, okay, well, how much is this going to cost? And lots of times that's one of the first questions out of, of, of potential client. 
Um, I always, you know, ask them to, you know, hey, pump the brakes just a bit. Be, be patient with the process because there's going to be a series of typically about three um, uh, phone calls or Zoom sessions followed by some emails where I capture what I think I heard and then we'll ask a follow-up set of questions that then leads to that next phone call because ultimately uh, I need to figure out fundamentally two things. And I'll ask the client this, why me and why now? And and by me, you know, hey, even if you choose not to use me, but you go another route, that those two questions and really getting at the answer behind that helps me understand what the customer and client is actually going to value as an outcome of what it is we're going to go down in terms of the journey we're going to take together. Could you talk a little bit more about those two questions and maybe the answers that you're looking for when it comes to why now, what is the point that people need to be at to where they can say this really is the best time and also why you? So I'll, I'll answer that the first one first. So uh, why now really uh, helps people start figuring out exactly, you know, really simple as it sounds, the answer to that question, right? And so lots of times people talk about, you know, some uh, harder metrics, you know, and there's like, you, you know, a frustration sometimes. Um, but by continuing to peel back the onion on that, we really get to the root cause and challenges of some of the things that they may be struggling with. And in that alone, um, it tends to be a pretty enlightening process for the prospective client. Again, they're not even my client yet, right? It's just understanding really why. And so some people, it may start out with, you know, hey, I'm just frustrated with my, you know, uh, employees and the leadership development program. And I only have one or two people that I can constantly give, you know, the high end work to. And then by the end of it, you realize, hey, actually, um, I'm spending way too much time personally. My family life is starting to suffer and I'm getting pulled in directions. So it started out as initially something that seemed like maybe challenges with uh, direct reports. You actually figure out, okay, but why you're really talking to me now is because you've come to this realization that you maybe didn't even have when you first just started talking to me. And that helps me uh, provide, I think, greater value versus me just stopping right at the first, you know, um, sense of what the issue may be and going, okay, so uh, I'm going to develop this program and we're going to go ahead and work on your direct, you know, two or three direct reports. And maybe they do well, but you're still feeling that other underlying tension that really was the root cause of the conversation with me to begin with. And so what are, what are some of those tools and ideas and specialties that you're able to bring to an organization? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, one one thing clearly is my experience. And, and by no means is it, uh, you know, exclusive, but it is, I believe, somewhat unique. So um, a Division One athlete uh, and all the things that we, we like to think that sports uh, can provide, um, I was fortunate and I feel like I had great experiences uh, and, and they were provided to me, you know, a sense of uh, purpose, a sense of teamwork, a sense of being part of something bigger than yourself, uh, persevering through hardship, building resilience, right? All these uh, kind of high human skills, as I like to refer to them, 
They're not the hard skills necessarily of finance or technology, et cetera, right? And then I parlayed that experience into then an experience in the military where what I found was the military really provided a uh, filler for the vacuum of the things that I was missing most deeply in sports. And again, it's all those different things I talked about, you know, figuring out how to lead through adversity, figuring out how to take the team that you've got and get the absolute most out of that team. And I spent, you know, 30 years doing that. And then when it was all said and done, I kind of had to reflect a little bit and ask myself, what am I really passionate about? And uh, what do I want to do going forward? And that's what landed me inside this uh, consulting space because I get to do a lot of those same things again and give back and share my experiences uh, with others and help them on their journey. So one of the things you said just a second ago is that you learned how to get the most out of your team. And that's something that leaders of all sorts would love to know. I think oftentimes they have a vision, they have a passion, and somehow getting their team to have that same vision and passion can feel like a difficult thing. Do you have any insight from your experience on how to really get the most out of your team? Yeah. So uh, to me, what I found out um, uh, through uh, trial and error initially, and then what was a, a great deal of frustration was this notion of trust and anchoring uh, any organization, team, or relationship in trust. That, to me, was the thing that provided both focus and energy for individuals and the organization to then actually bring about the best in themselves. Uh, and so that, that's really where I went uh, as I was going into my battalion command. And that was, you know, leading 500 people and, and getting ready to prepare them for a combat uh, deployment to Afghanistan. And what was the process that helped you to understand the importance of trust? Did you come in already realizing that or was there a little bit of trial and error there? It was uh, deep frustration. And mm. by that, I mean, uh, especially in the military, you know, in the army, which is where I served, but in all, all other places, too, I, I hear this, you know, where people are like, hey, trust is, you know, critical. Trust is the foundation of our institution. Trust is the bedrock, you know, on and on and on. Right. And everybody shakes their head, you know, because who's going to say, well, trust, that's that's overrated. That's not important. Right. N nobody says that. We all intuitively get it. But then the conversation kind of just seems to dwindle out. And then the next time we're talking about this very, very important thing that we all agree is vitally important to any relationship, be it one-on-one -on -one or individual organization or organizational organization, et cetera, right? Any relationship. The next time we talk about it and bring it up is at the point of either it having been broken or close to broken. And I'm like, well, what about the whole space in between? Mm. <laughs> I mean, wh wh why do we, why do we do that? And it was that question that really started me to figure out how can you cultivate, how can I cultivate a culture of trust? And once I do that, I realize I then gain or we gain the ultimate competitive advantage in whatever endeavor it is uh, that we happen to be going down. 
And so I came up with the uh, trust framework and um, started tinkering with that and, you know, sharing it with trusted uh, direct reports and individuals. And, you know, it grew over time. And by the time I took battalion command, I was ready to really deploy this thing and and, and put it into action. And I'm uh, glad and, and thankful that I did. So what is included in this trust framework? Uh, the first thing is the understanding that uh, trust should be given right from the get-go. And that was kind of counterintuitive to me. And that took uh, a lot of real introspection and, and reflection because I was brought up in a very much a, hey, you need to earn my trust, right? You know, and I think I think some of us and some of your listeners probably, you know, can can uh, relate to that where they've probably even used that phrase before. And I had it as well, uh, you know, younger in my life as a younger leader, uh, fresh coming out of West Point. But then, you know, when you really think about it, though, and you really just kind of re- you know, remove your own ego, you know, you get on a plane. I mean, do you do you know the pilot at all? Do you know anybody who who inspected the plane? Do you know the people who put the plane together? At the end of the day, you're really trusting your life <laughs> with these people you don't even know. But somehow, when our relationships tend to get closer in organizations or one-on-one relationships, we're going to flip the script and now say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, I trust the, the the pilot with my life. I trust the person driving down I-95 not to come across the lane and hit me head on. But you and me, no, we're going to flip this. And you actually have to earn my trust first. Hmm. So that was the first thing. I, I, I removed the ego and said, I'm going to be willing to give my trust. Uh, that creates an environment for trust to ensue a lot more readily than the other way around. Then once you go ahead and establish that, there is an acknowledgement that trust may be eroded at times, right? And so that's the next thing. Trust isn't this binary, you, I either trust you or I don't, which is another phrase we've often hear and I used to use, right? I either trust you or I don't. There is no in-between. Well, really, again, when you remove the ego and you think about it a little bit, no, there are probably some people I trust a little more than others. And, you know, and, and so again, once you get to that place, you can start asking yourself, well, why is that? You know, why, why do I trust some people more than others? And that then leads to um, a fundamental part of this trust framework that I'm explaining, which is the trust equation. And I came up with this and you don't have to adopt my equation necessarily. Uh, but I would, you know, what I, what I, uh, tell people is and offer to people is you should think through this process and come up with your own trust equation. And so for me, trust equals, uh, you know, integrity slash honesty plus uh, dependability slash reliability plus competence plus an ability to clearly communicate plus genuine care. That That's my trust equation. Again, you don't have to adopt mine. Uh, I've used mine. I've practiced mine in training units to combat, leading them through combat, bringing them back home. And I've shared this with other organizations and have had uh, very good success with it, those who have um, actually put it to practice. Once you have your trust equation, for you've unpacked trust and you've moved to trust past what 
most people would just automatically stop at, which is like lying, cheating, stealing, right? It's that honesty, integrity piece, which makes it a little emotional and a little flashpoint-like. And you've unpacked it where it's now something that you can kind of start to talk about a little more routinely. And you do that then by establishing expectations for each one of those items of the equation, the unpacking uh, of, of, of trust. And then you have that conversation with those people who are your direct reports or others. And then you uh, observe. You observe with healthy curiosity. And you're looking at demonstrated behaviors and you're observing them in a healthy, curious way against the expectations. And that then allows you to start speaking about trust routinely, regularly, in a non-emotional way, and in a healthy, we're just trying to iteratively get better way. And over time, what you'll find out is the expectations start to exceed or the demonstrated behavior starts to exceed the, the expectations. And that's, that's a way that allows people to further cultivate trust. It allows them to regain trust in a very focused and intentional way uh, after it started to potentially erode. It allows a person to communicate in a very specific way, like, hey, you're very competent, you're honest, you, you, you seem to care, you communicate well, but your dependability is really lacking because there's been multiple times we've relied on you and you've showed up about 15 minutes to a half hour late. And the last time that almost cost us a client. So I got to be honest with you, you know, the trust is starting to erode a little bit. It's really about the dependability piece. How are we going to go ahead and get after this? Help me understand why that appears to me to be an issue. And then you, that, that leads to all sorts of unbelievable, um, conversations. And you may start to find out things about people that you have no idea about. And actually in those questions, I have found, um, because of the healthy curiosity, sometimes what I thought was a, was, was an erosion of trust after the conversation. Actually, I leave that conversation with a new perspective and I actually, the trust is actually increased or moved in a healthy direction. That's the trust framework. That's great. And just as a recap, trust equals integrity plus dependability plus competence plus communication plus care. And when you have these things in place, the thing that John just said is to establish expectations, have conversations, and observe demonstrated behaviors. And that creates a bit of a feedback loop that is either a positive or a negative thing, depending on those demonstrated behaviors. Now, John, when you work with organizations, do you provide them some insight on how to promote growth in these different areas of the trust equation? Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, the first thing to realize is that the expectations likely are not the same for everybody, right? So let's take, you know, you're in charge and you have maybe 10 direct reports. You know, some are brand new to the team, some are fresh out of college, maybe others have been with the organization a little bit longer. Okay. So the expectations for the person who's been there for 10 years and has run through the ropes with you might be a little bit higher than the person who just first came on board. And so making sure that you have a a dialogue with those individuals and treat them as human beings and set expectations 
that are realistic yet uh, aspirational uh, for them is important. That's not to suggest that some expectations are, in fact, going to be equally applied to everybody. That really helps you start figuring out what do you really value as an organization, right? Like maybe it is integrity. You know, I don't care whether you're the first person, you know, day one on this job or a guy who's been here 10 years. You know, you cook the books a little bit. You start shading some things just to close a deal and we find out about it. That's a non-negotiate. That is mm. trust has been irrevocably broken and you will be removed from this organization. So it helps you really look at that. Uh, and then as you start, again, observing with healthy curiosity, that's a key point. You can't, it's not observing and being judgmental. It's observing demonstrated behaviors and having healthy curiosity that allows you to enter an inquisitive conversation with somebody when you don't think their demonstrated behavior is reaching an expectation. It helps them then more quickly close that gap. It could be they need additional training. It could be they need some additional support or time. Could be the expectation was maybe just a touch too high initially, and we bring it down until they can get to it. And then once that starts to become repetitive and they, and they start to demonstrate that they can meet those expectations, we have a discussion about getting them to the next level, you know, continuing to grow, continuing to progress inside this organization, giving them new challenges, and you are incrementally bumping the expectations up. And that fuels incredible growth. It fuels incredible um, buy-in and really a passion uh, that you aren't likely to find otherwise. Now, John, I'm going to have you explain the trust equation again in just a second. And listeners, the reason I'm having John do this is because this is a key piece to take away from this episode. If you only take away one thing, take away this, because if you can begin to understand what trust is made of, you can begin to look at those component parts and begin to think about how you need to address trust in your organization and with each team member. So, John, if you would, could you tell us that trust equation one more time? Yeah, sure. So uh, unpacking trust, uh, my, my version of the trust equation is trust equals honesty plus dependability plus competence plus quality communication plus genuine care. That is my version of the trust equation. And again, I don't suggest that anybody has to adopt that one specifically. They should really take time as an organization or as an individual and think through their own unpacking of trust. But the key point is unpack it and have that framework or that equation from which to go ahead and generate all the other discussions about expectations or demonstrated behavior, et cetera. John, thank you for joining the podcast today. Before you go, are there any things that you would like to add that we haven't gotten to talk about yet or that you would just like to reiterate from our conversation today? Yeah, no, I think I think really uh, your great questions hit hit it all, uh, which is why I love the podcast and I, and uh, you know, I reached out to you. And so, again, thanks for having me. Uh, I hope uh, your guests uh, who, who listen uh, have found it useful as well. And uh, anybody who wants to reach out to me can do so, uh, you know, through the, the website and some of the other uh, ways of linking with me that, that you'll provide. All right, John, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you, Joshua. And keep doing uh, great things with the podcast. 
I hope you found today's interview with John to be helpful. There are three things that I want to highlight from today's episode. One of them is the trust equation. But the first thing is that when you cultivate a culture of trust, you gain a competitive advantage to others. And that's because trust provides, as John said, the energy and focus to bring out the best in people, whether it's yourself or others. The second thing is, of course, the trust equation. And John mentioned that this was his trust equation. Think about it for yourself. What would you add or subtract from this? Because I think this is a great place to start. According to John's equation, trust equals honesty plus reliability plus competence plus communication plus care. Once again, John's trust equation is this. Honesty plus reliability plus competence plus communication, plus care. And finally, I like John's point that once you have your trust equation, whatever that may be, establish your expectations for each item of the equation. And then have a conversation with a person with whom that trust is broken. And then finally, observe the demonstrated behaviors with a healthy curiosity in light of those expectations. So real quick, those three things once again are establish expectations, have a conversation, and observe the demonstrated behaviors with healthy curiosity. Now, I hope you will join us on Friday because we have a great episode coming up. I know a lot of people like personality assessments and things like that. Well, I'm not going to tell you who our guest is, but he's a big name when it comes to at least one of the more popular assessments in our world today. And he's just come out with a new book that's not focused on understanding your strengths or your personality, but focus on how you can best contribute to the world. It's a really interesting concept, and I'm excited to share this interview with you. So make sure that you come back this Friday to hear more from our guest. Until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. 
If Business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.